welcome to the CU Insight Network podcast. My name is Lauren Kolb. I'm the publisher and CEO at CUinsight.com. And it's my job on our show to have conversations with all of the thought leaders who support the credit union community. We get to identify the issues that affect credit unions and have a discussion on the best practices that are out there so that we can all learn from one another and improve our credit unions. My guest on today's show is Jeff Keltner, the SVP of Business Development at Upstart. Really, really interesting stuff that they do over there. I'm so excited to talk to Jeff today. So let's jump right into the conversation. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here. I'd love to start with a little bit of background on you. You know, Most of us didn't grow up thinking that someday we would get to work with credit unions. So I'm curious, what did you want to be growing up? And then what was the inspiration to take the gig at Upstart? That's a funny question. People don't usually ask that. So I, I mean, as a kid, I had all the standard kid stuff. I wanted to be an astronaut and a police officer <laughs> and a fighter pilot or whatever. Uh, when I got to college, I thought I was going to be a physics professor until I took my first year of physics. And then I uh, <laughs> went a different route. <laughs> the inspiration to come to Upstart. So immediately before Upstart, I had been spent about six years, just shy of six years at Google, kind of helping launch what is now the Google Cloud and the Google Enterprise business. Uh, and really had been at the intersection of where technology is applied to real-world problems, right? In real-world companies, and not just technology being built, but being really applied in different industries. And I thought that was fascinating. And Dave Girard, who was leading the Google Enterprise uh, business at that time, left to found Upstart. So I kind of called Dave and said, hey, what are you doing? Is there is there a place for me over there? Because I, I really liked him. And, and what I saw was Again, the opportunity to take new technology, particularly things like machine learning and AI and, and some of the digital cloud capabilities and apply them to an industry that was really had a lot of opportunity for improvement based on those things in the financial services sector. So that's, that's kind of how I, how I ended up here. That is so interesting. Well, and I, I love the, <laughs> the astronaut and the physicist <laughs> things that you wanted to be. All the dreams you have as a kid when you don't know what it really means to do any of those things. It just sounds exactly. cool. Right. It does. <laughs> well, your gig today is cool too. I know with everything happening in the world, there have been fewer conferences than normal, but let's pretend that you and I got to meet up at a conference in person. What's that elevator pitch that you would give on what Upstart is and where you really add value for credit unions? It's a great question. I'm not good at elevator pitches. I, I talk too much. But um, maybe I, I just say a couple of things when we talk to credit unions about what we do. One is we make it easy to quickly get into asset classes that either are uh, not available products that are not available for consumers, uh, particularly unsecured consumer loans, uh, auto refi loans, which are generally assets that are you know either not available through the credit unions from in, in many instances or are kind of small side products but aren't, aren't core products. And we can really get people rapidly into them and growing through those products. And the key thing about how we do that is the application of artificial intelligence really to two key parts of the process. And I think for those you know, smaller dollar loans like an auto refi loan or a personal loan, it's really critical that you can do these things to make these products profitable in a way that maybe they weren't in a more traditional approach. And the two areas I think that we really transform the lending experience through the application of artificial intelligence or machine learning technologies is in understanding who is credit worthy and how much risk uh, a given loan obligation to a given consumer uh, represents. And you know the, the basic numbers here are that many more people are credit worthy than you would think by their credit score, right? Something like 80% of Americans have never defaulted on a credit obligation, but fewer than half have what you'd call a traditional prime credit score. And we can help you find that hidden prime, right? Those, those 30% uh, or 40% that are not a prime credit score, but really are going to be able to pay back. 
Um, so that's number one. Number two is the ability to reduce the friction in the lending process. The kind of things that used to be not that big a deal in the branch, show me your ID, let me see your bank statements. We can kind of automate and help make those things frictionless. We see for our lenders, about 75% of the loans they originate have no requirement for any manual review, not an ID, not a phone call, not an uploaded document. And those loans convert to from you know uh, approved to funded at two to three times the rate of those where we ask for document uploads. So those are kind of the two core things that we help uh, credit unions do. Uh, and that helps them really in the context of those unsecured loans and, and the automobile loans. Is that elevator pitch? It's a long elevator ride. Maybe. <laughs> it's a, we're going all the way to the top floor. It's a tall building. <laughs> that that statistic of 80% of Americans have never defaulted. Uh, that's so interesting to me. I don't know that that's something that I've heard said in that way before. I want to talk about some of those credit needs that exist among consumers and where this can really help for, for credit unions to reach out to their communities. We know that a large portion of all of our communities don't really qualify, as you were talking about, for, for those traditional lending products. And sometimes mm-hmm. they end up with maybe predatory loan options or payday loans. I'm curious, what are those non-traditional variables or are there non-traditional variables beyond the typical ones we think of, like credit yeah. score, like debt to income, that we could use to expand access to credit? So I think the answer is there There are traditional variables that you can use to expand access. And then there are non-traditional variables and we use both, but let me break them down real quickly for you. Number one, you know, most lenders look at a credit history and they get maybe four or five real pieces of information. Are there recent delinquencies? Are there recent inquiries? What's a credit utilization and maybe a credit score? Those are kind of the core things that might be in a scorecard or a lending program. Um, we get almost eight or 900 variables wow. um, from the credit bureaus. And it turns out that when you're looking at much more granular, just, just credit data on an individual. And then also one of the problems I always find with credit scores is they're, they're general to the person, but not specific to the product, right? So that credit score has to encapsulate somehow my risk on a large mortgage and a thousand dollar personal loan. And it's really can't do that very precisely. Uh, and so when you, when you really nail into what do these variables, all 800 of them tell me about, you know, Jeff's ability to repay a thousand dollar loan over three years, you can be much, much more accurate at who is a good credit risk. And then you can also layer in things that aren't coming from the credit file, which you might call alternative data points. Uh, we do that as well. I'd say, uh, you know, maybe call it half of our model's power comes from better utilization of deeper information coming from the credit file combined with really sophisticated AI that a lot, I mean, when you have 800 variables, right, you, you can't use a scorecard anymore. You need some sophisticated techniques to, to yeah. understand how to, to, to look at somebody who has maybe a high FICO and a high debt to income. Like, what, what does that mean? Uh, right. And then multiply that by 800. Um, but the other variables typically are things about your type of employment, your occupation, your field of work, uh, your level of education. And you can think of many of them as being really good proxies for your employability, the stability of your income. Some great examples that come out of that are things like nurses, firefighters, teachers tend to have much more stable income, right? Even if they don't have higher income. And so they can often uh, be actually more credit worthy from the stability of income perspective than you might think just looking at uh, the, 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 bare, the bare numbers. So those are some examples of where those kind of alternative data points really point you in the direction of people who maybe are a better credit risk than you would have thought just looking at maybe income and credit score. There's so much to unpack there. And I know you mentioned a lot of the work you do and what you're looking at is with artificial intelligence in lending. I'm curious, how can this really broaden the impact that credit unions can bring for their members and their communities? Well, I, I mean, I think I'll go back to that statistic, or maybe I'll, I'll give you the, the 80 40 statistic in a different way, which is if you think about a subprime pool that's way too risky for most credit unions, it's like, what, 20, 25% losses, maybe? 
which means that 75 or 80% of those applicants that are being denied uh, are actually good credit risks, right? If it's a 25% loss pool, it's a, it's a 75% good pool. And AI's real magic is ha- helping us understand who are those 75% in that subprime pool that aren't really subprime, right? They're not really bad risk. We just can't see them. And identifying that hidden prime is so valuable, I think, particularly for credit unions and community-minded financial institutions where there's a real mission, not just to optimize profit or revenue, uh, but to serve the consumer, those 75 or 80% are real people who are from banks and credit unions being denied access to the credit products they need. And to your earlier question, they often end up in a payday or some sort of more predatory product. And the ability to serve those consumers is really powerful. I think it breeds a lot of consumer loyalty, um, but it really helps us serve those communities. And of course, when you think about credit scores and distribution among different categories of demographics, like you tend to find that your African-American, your Hispanic, your traditionally disadvantaged communities tend to have, on average, lower credit scores. And so when you can go beyond that credit score to a better understanding of someone's actual creditworthiness and risk, you can not only serve more consumers, but you can typically reach more of those traditionally disadvantaged communities as well. That is really right up the, the alley of most credit unions that I know. And I know you're passionate about, about equity and inclusion in lending practices too, and really expanding access to affordable credit. Can you talk about the opportunities that you see for credit unions to lead the financial services industry in inclusive lending? And do you think there are any roadblocks to this, maybe regulatory or governance challenges to being able to be that, that inclusive lender? Yeah, I, I think there are, but I, I think the tide is, is shifting, right? So, you know, my sense is there's been a bit of complacency, and I, I don't mean to be harsh on the industry, maybe, but that we've been using relatively traditional approaches, and, and they have not been as inclusive as I think they, they should have been. And so there certainly there are all the fair lending laws, and I want to I want to come out and say you know we, when we started applying AI and machine learning to credit, one of the big questions you get is are you going to inherit bias? Are you going to create biased algorithms? Um, and so we we started work with the CFPB before we originated our first loan um, uh, with any of our partner uh, institutions and, and kind of said, hey, in the context of a machine learning algorithm and alternative data, how do you think about measuring and evaluating fairness? Uh, you know, and so we did a lot of work with them. They ultimately issued us a, a no action letter and, and have issued us subsequent to the expiration of the first one, a second no action letter about our compliance with fair lending laws and, and things like adverse actions related to the use of AIML. So I think there are our fears and concerns. But I also think, and I think all credit unions know this, that the world is not that that great today in this regard, right? And so I think there's always concern about, are you going to create bias? But I think there's also the reality of the bias and the lack of access built into the system as it exists. And AI represents a huge opportunity to push forward in that access. In my sense from regulators is they're really interested in that. One of the key things that the Bureau asks us is not only about inclusiveness or equity of lending, but like, what's the access? And what they've seen in our data is that using our techniques, we're able to improve access, increase approval rates, lower APRs for every demographic of Americans. And that's really powerful, right? So you want to ask the fairness question, but fundamentally, when you're improving access for every demographic, that's a that's a huge opportunity to improve equity and inclusion, but improve outcomes for all consumers. And that opportunity is right there in front of us. And I think regulators are on the side of seeing that happen, right? So they're, in my sense, looking for engagement from lenders, from, from credit unions to say, how do we go out there and make this a reality to actually start helping the American consumer? That's so great. And you mentioned that it's easy, I think, for all of us to get kind of complacent with where we're at right now, especially when when things are going well, or maybe when things are going well enough. 
And along with that artificial intelligence side that you mentioned, digital transformation is a a really hot topic for credit unions. And it's something that we also can't afford to get complacent with. (laughs) You know, credit unions have really been historically so great at member service, but our technology has sometimes fallen a little bit behind what we're seeing from big banks or just from big, the Amazons of the world in general, those big organizations. And so especially today, we know consumers really are equating good service in a lot of cases to a good digital experience. And they're comparing that ease of use to not just to other credit unions, maybe not to credit unions at all, but to the Amazons, the Googles, the Facebooks. So my question for you, I'm curious, how do you think credit unions can really create the best and most frictionless experience for their members? And do you see AI lending being a key part of that puzzle? I, I do. I guess so many thoughts on this. And you know, right. I, I guess having come from Google, part of the creating those expectations to which everyone is being held now. So <laughs> Thanks a maybe, lot. Yeah. Maybe, a, maybe an apology <laughs> is in order or something of that nature. Uh, it's certainly true that consumers expect a digital experience. And I think you use the right word as well, which is frictionless, right? And so a couple of thoughts I have here. Number one, I see digital transformation too often as a checkbox, uh, really focused on the intake of initial application information for a product. And too few institutions thinking about how do I transform the process so that it's seamless? Because to your point, like the beauty of Amazon isn't just that you can like, you know, shop online. It's that you can have one click to have purchase. And it's not like you get to look at the whole catalog and it's like, oh, call us here at this 800 number and go through five IVR levels of the phone tree to, to place your order, right? It's the whole end-to-end process is frictionless. And that's where I think there needs to be a lot of investment from institutions, either in building or frankly, in partnering. Uh, because you know, I talked to an institution to shall remain lame and say, we just launched a digital auto loan. I said, it's great. Tell me about it. Well, you apply online and then we call you back a half hour later with your answer, which of course, friction. And then you come in the branch to sign the documents. Right. And I said, well, is that really did like, did you, did you really digitize it or did you just put a f- coat of paint on the front? Right. And so I think really getting to how do I reduce friction, go fully digital end to end and automate it as much as possible where I'm not going to ask you, I'm going to do an e-sig, right? I'm going to, Maybe, you know, in our case, we don't ask for uploads of bank statements. We'll use something like Plaid to connect to a bank account. If you're a credit union, you can look in your own bank account. I'm not going to ask you to upload something to verify your income. I can do that automatically, right? And so for us, when we started going to automate, we started every borrower called us on the phone, uploaded some kind of document. And we, at some point in like 2016, we kind of said, well, what if we just said no documentation required, instantly approved, you know, ID fraud, the whole thing. Uh, what would happen? Um, and we started doing it for very small loans for a small percentage. And we saw pull-through rate went two to three X, right? And credit performance improved. And we said, well, that's, that seems good. We should do more of that, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, let's do more. So we started really applying the AI that we had been using on the credit decisioning. Like, is this person credit worthy to have they misrepresented anything in the application? And how little can we ask them to do in terms of work before we fully approve them? Right. And so now something like 75% of the loans on the platform, somewhere between 70 and 75%, uh, end up with no documentation uploaded, no human review while they're waiting for that approval. And so that's a really powerful experience that again converts between two and three X as well as asking people to upload some form of documentation. So my first piece of advice is make sure you're kind of end-to-end optimizing the experience, not just digitizing the legacy process. And I think that's an easy 
path to go down that, that doesn't work well. I think a lot of that automation is going to involve the application of artificial intelligence, right? Like, how do I get comfortable that you're really who you say you are? Well, I can probably get 10 or 15 different data signals, but how do I make sense of them? AI can really help you increase the number of people that you can have like a no friction or a low friction experience for. So that's number one. I think related to that is the fact that one path I see many institutions going down, particularly smaller institutions, is like, well, I just want one digital vendor and they can do it all. One throat to choke, one partnership, one Mm -hmm. vendor contract. It's great. But what I find is that to have that really frictionless experience, you need a pretty optimized experience. And those experiences are different for different kinds of products, right? An unsecured loan is pretty simple. Uh, An auto loan is different. I've got electronic title transfer. I've got liens that I need to get put in place, right? I've got lien perfection. I've got my gap insurance. I've got all these things. And so sometimes the, the one size fits all doesn't really provide the high quality experience for each individual product that's needed to win. And as you know, Another app, another financial institution is just just a download away on your phone, right? So I think you've really got to be providing an optimized experience, a frictionless experience, but it's probably a bit unique for every different offering you have, a mortgage versus an auto loan versus a line of credit versus a credit card. And so you might be able to find them all from one vendor, but, but I think optimizing for that as opposed to optimizing for the customer experience is another kind of path I see people heading down that I don't think is going to, to yield the results that they want. And then the third thing I would say, so if you got, you know, like you really got to optimize the process, optimize for the product. Number three is don't underestimate the value of the human touch. I hear this from consumers and I hear it from credit union execs all the time that, you know, people want to transact seamlessly, digitally, mobile, right? They don't want to call somebody to check their balance, to transfer funds, to make a payment, to do any of those things. But when they want advice on, hey, what's the difference between this IO mortgage or a 15-year and a 30-year fix? Like, help me understand, should I be in a Roth IRA or an IRA or using my company's 401k? Like, I don't understand. They want to talk to a human in that moment, right? And I think the, the, the institutions that really win will make it easy to transact without talking to somebody and easy to talk to somebody when you want. You don't want to go through, again, five layers of an IVR to ask somebody, hey, what's the difference between a Roth IRA and an IRA? You want a quick access to a human in that moment. And the more you can make the transactional stuff go away, um, make it easy to self-serve for your consumer, the happier the consumer is, the lower your costs are, and the more you can reserve your employees for those high-value-added conversations, which frankly, the employees much prefer to doing more administrative work anyway. So that would be my third kind of piece of advice on digitization. Don't, don't underestimate the power of the human touch and the right, the right time for the right purpose. It's really valued by the consumer in that moment. That is so true. I think that all of that really resonates with me as a consumer. <laughs> and then when we're thinking about credit unions, that that is really something I think that is in, inherent in sort of their DNA is being able to provide that that human member experience with their community. So I think it's such a good sort of set of advice that you provide there. So Upstart is a really innovative company. And, and from your perspective as a leader, you know we've seen so much disruption in financial services over the past few years. The pace of change continues to increase. What overall trends are you seeing for the future of financial services? And, and where's Upstart's focus when it comes to innovating to meet some of these changes? Uh, so, I, I mean, the core thing, I, I guess I got to say first, it's my bull prediction. AI is coming. It is a generational kind of technology. It's, there are some technologies that are incremental improvements on the old way. And there are some things that are transformational leaps forward. And I think ML and AI is really a transformational leap kind of technology. And so I think 
all lending will be AI powered over the next five or 10 years. And the institutions that are able to leverage those technologies first are going to have a tremendous advantage. Um, and obviously, we started with that in unsecured lending. Um, we started there because it's like the riskiest kind of lending and the place where you can get to truly frictionless, like instantaneous credit. Obviously, harder in an auto loan or a mortgage. You got to close the, the the home purchase, the car purchase. Um, but all those things are are clearly coming, right? That this kind of experience is going to come across uh, all of those technologies, all of those kinds of products over time. So I think that's one um, thing that, that we see. And we're really, we're, we're focused now on, you know, after many years, focused on just unsecured personal loans. We've launched the ability for the credit unions we work with to power auto loans, both refinance and purchase loans using the same kinds of technologies. And you can imagine that we don't anticipate that it stops there. We're, we're continuing right. to look at how do we enable different kinds of credit experiences for our credit union partners in that space. The second one, I think, is that the one we were just touching on, which is this, despite all the digital innovation, I think the integration of the human touch, be it in person, be it on the phone, is going to be a really valuable piece of how the winners are really picked and how they evolve in this space is how do we really integrate those two? Because I, I don't think it's a pure technology thing. I mean, even as a consumer, a pretty tech-savvy guy, I really get frustrated when I'm asked to, to go into a branch or pick. But there are just moments when I go, I need to talk to somebody and I just need right. a five-minute conversation. But but I want that. The companies that can provide me that with the ability to self-serve. You know, I don't want... I, I had a bank and I... Call us, give me some advice. My IRA I said that's great. I said, yeah, you convinced me. I'm going to go make my five thousand dollar transfer. They go, oh, let me email you a PDF and you can sign it and email it back to me. <laughs> I go, oh, guy, why can't I just go in and click the like button, right, to make my my? I don't. Yeah, you were very helpful. Thank you. But now get out of my way, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think when you can provide both of those seamlessly, that's a huge opportunity for innovation, and it also means making sure. And if I were giving credit unions advice on maybe where from a technology investment point of view, I think there's an underinvestment is its integration of all the data you have about a consumer into all the different experiences they might have, right? So too often, this was another example from a bank, not a credit union. So it's okay. But, you know, like I was applying for a mortgage from a bank that I had worked with for years. And, you know, first they asked me like, what's your address? I said, well, it's the same place you send all my statements. You know, like you should know that. Can you please upload last six months of bank statements? You're my bank. Why are you asking me for, for this? Right. And so I think there's sometimes a focus on providing a front end experience that's digital or optimized in some way. And that's useful. But if you really want to earn loyalty, you've got to be able to reflect all the things you know about that consumer and give them a better experience for working with you a second time, right? That institution should have not asked me for a whole bunch of stuff because they already had it. And yet their data systems were not interconnected where that application system knew about my depository relationship or my investment relationship, right? And could take advantage of those things. And I think that's an area where investment pays a huge dividend where you can say, no, we already know these things about you, Jeff. So we're, your process is going to be easier, right? You're already approved for this loan because we know that, you know, you meet the income requirements because we looked in your checking account. And when you can actually leverage that data, all the different places, when I can call into a call center and that person can see all the relationships I have, I think that's really powerful. And it's an area of um, underinvestment, I think, where we focus on the, the point solutions, which again, I think you need a highly optimized point solution. But the real investment for the credit union ought to be how do I connect those things together to provide a seamless experience? So that would be my, my second area to, of real focus. 
in terms of how you enable that digital touch and really the high-end customer experience. And then the last trend, I don't have an answer for what we're doing to, to help in this space per se, but I do think this shift towards embedded finance, the idea, this is maybe as old as buying a car at a dealership, but the idea that we're going to have different ways to embed, be it savings products with your employer, be it lending products at points of sale or purchases, digital and in-person. I think those kind of embedding of the financial activities into other things, whether it's something that's embedded into your paycheck at work or the purchase online or in a store, I think is very real. And business will shift there. And the credit unions that are able to support businesses in doing that, that are able to embed their experiences into these places where consumers are transacting, are going to be able to reap the rewards of being in that in that place in that moment. And so I don't, I don't know exactly where that goes. And I think in particular, the embedding into physical world experiences is still not ideal. But I do think that there's a real trend to kind of shift from, hey, I went to my bank to get the loan. Now I'm going to buy the car to, hey, I'm going to buy the car. And that's been true in cars for a while, but not in very many other areas of purchase. And I think that's coming. Wow. Thank you for that insight. That's so great to hear. And I know from the consumer perspective, that probably your, your story there probably resonates with a lot of folks who have maybe experienced some of the more friction heavy <laughs> uh, transactions. But but even from the, the perspective of overall trends, you know, even buy now, pay later, things like that, that we're seeing, I think yep. you're, you're spot on. So cool to hear about Upstart. We don't have all the time in the world, although I, I feel like we could continue talking for hours here. But as we start to wrap up the show, I'd like to have some fun with some rapid fire questions to let our listeners get to know you better. And so the questions are rapid from my side, but your answers don't have to be. So I will okay. jump right in here. All right. First one, what is a recent purchase you didn't know you needed that has become something you can't live without? So this is a hard one. I, I try not to have any physical things that I can't live without. So I, I struggle with this question, but I will say, maybe I'll take the Marie Kondo approach to something that sparks joy. Yep. If that's okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and there are two that I've bought recently that just provide me immense joy. One is I like to drink tea in the afternoons and I bought a glass uh, tea steeper where the, the tea leaves are kind of free floating and there's a strainer at the top as opposed to having the tea in a bag or something. And it's just so beautiful to watch them expand. And it, it kind of is like a visual experience as well as is getting to enjoy the tea. So I've really enjoyed that. And the second uh, I will give you is I'm a, I'm a big fly fisherman when I can. Southern California is not a great place for it. But I recently got into Tankara fishing, which is a line, no reel, and just a, a fixed line on a fixed long rod. And for some reason, it just provides me uh, immense joy when I go Tenkara fishing with like this super simple, it's almost as old as a bamboo rod and a line at the end of it. But it's really a lot of fun. And I find sometimes the simplest ways are the best and provide a lot of joy. So those are two things I've gotten recently that I, um, I greatly enjoy if, if, if maybe I could live without. That is so cool. I, I'm a big coffee drinker myself, but the tea has been something I've always been meaning to get into. So I love that. All right. When you hear the word success, who is the first person that comes to mind for you and why? Oh, man. I feel like I'm going to be cliche and just say Elon Musk to start. And I'll give you a second answer, which is less, well, also cliche. But you know, to me, um, so often, the way you change the world is through businesses that realize some potential that, that people didn't really quite see was there. And, and both in terms of Tesla, in terms of SpaceX, I think Elon Musk is forget the financial side, which obviously has come to him as well, has created things that have changed the world in positive ways and, and really kicked in entire industries uh, down the road decades from where they might have been in terms of electrification of our automobile fleet. So I, that to me is amazing to think about the impact on the world 
um, not just the financial success that he's had. Uh, he's maybe an interesting character. Uh, the other one I always think of is just my dad. You know, he was quite successful in business, but also a, a good dad, a good family man, and knew how to prioritize. I think the things that were important in life outside of work. And to me, that's still a, a huge touchstone. Um, you know, he and I are still very close as I am with my mom, but that kind of balance of of work and family life, I think, is something that I always think of as, as key to success. You really can't be successful unless you're well-connected with your family. So that, that's always one that comes to my mind. Absolutely. We, we hear parent quite a lot for the word success. No, it's also cliche, <laughs> but uh, I want to give you something other than just dad. But I, I do think that uh, family is so important. And you know, if, you, if you can't have work success without family success, really, to me, is not, not all that meaningful. Absolutely. Such a good perspective. All right, random question for you. What are you listening to on Spotify? This is hard. This will this also related to my being a dad now because my kids really dictate my Spotify list. But thankfully they have they've gone past the Disney tunes exclusively. So <laughs> depending on which son is with me, uh, I will likely either have the Beatles on because I have one son okay. who is, is a huge Beatles aficionado. And the other is a bit more in the classic rock, uh, maybe not classic, but ACDC, Metallica, Pearl Jam. Uh, he's into kind of the 90s rock scene now. So depending on which child I have, I'll have one or the other. And my wife's here is probably uh, Broadway show tunes. So, you know, okay. it's all, all about the family experience around here. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be a really eclectic playlist to put them all together. <laughs> That's right. All right. Any books that you have gifted or you think just everyone should read? So many books that I think everyone should read, but I'll highlight one because I think it's really related to AI in some in some ways, which is a book by a woman called Annie Deuce called Thinking in Bets. And it's really kind of an exploration. She was a professional poker player for a while and kind of an exploration of how uh, there's an old quote I love, which is man is a deterministic creature living in a probabilistic world. And I think, you know, that book really explores how you should think about probabilities. And I think one of the core things she talks about is how you can make a bad decision, i.e., that the odds were against you and yet you win and you think that was a, the right decision. Or you can make the right decision, i.e., you, you, with all the information you had, this was the right choice. And still, it turned out not to work out. And that doesn't, that doesn't make it the right choice any more than having worked out in the first case makes it the, the wrong choice. So that idea of how do you think about the probabilities of outcomes when things aren't certain and assessing your decision-making in a more realistic way and understanding that you can turn out to have kind of made the quote-unquote correct decision, it worked out well for you, even though it was actually the wrong decision uh, and vice versa, I think is a really powerful concept. And I've tried to have more rigor around uh, my thinking in that way. Our co-founder, Paul Gu, is big this way. And so he's, he's the only guy I know, although I think his friends are all this way, uh, who will not only say, hey, I'll bet you X, but put odds on it. Hey, I bet you our flight's delayed. Give you five to seven odds. I'm like, oh, who puts odds on? Like, what? <laughs> but, you know, I think it's really part of starting to try and think rigorously about, well, what do I think the odds of this happening are, right? And if I think it's two to one, then I should be willing to take a three to one odds on a bet. And so you, you know, starting to really understand probability because almost all the decisions we make are, are not guaranteed one way or the other. They're kind of probabilistic. And that, that depth of thinking, I think, is really interesting and, and something I took away from that book that I think is really, pow really powerful. I will have to add that one to my list. I have not read it. So thank you for, for that recommendation. All right. The calendar is empty. What do you do to unwind outside of work? After I pick my jaw up off the floor that the calendar <laughs> is empty, you know, I guess I would take the, the two items that spark joy out. I mean, anywhere outdoors with my kids is where you'll find me uh, when I have free time. 
uh, sometimes playing golf, obviously maybe taking my Tenkara rod out and having a cup of tea by the side of the creek while we're fishing would probably be be my ideal. But we're kind of an outdoor family. So anything that gets us outside and in nature is, is probably where you'll find us. I love that. All right. Well, we're going to link to everything we talked about today in the show notes. We'll link to some contact information for your team so that folks who want to learn more about inclusive lending, artificial intelligence and lending, non-traditional credit variables can all get in touch with you. But my last question for you is, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share today or final asks that you have of our listeners? I should have prepared for that. And I didn't. I, I don't. I think it was a great conversation. I appreciate your, your taking the time. I will say if people want to find me, I, I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn. And I'm just jeff at upstart.com. So there you go. You can get a hold of me and we can we can continue the conversation. And, and thanks so much for, uh, for this. This was a lot of fun. Incredible. It was. And I, I know I learned a lot today. I'm sure all of our listeners did as well. Thanks so much, Jeff, for being on the show. Hopefully, we'll get to run into each other someday at a, at a conference soon. An actual but... <laughs> in-person event, maybe one of these days. <laughs> That'd be amazing. But until then, stay well. Thank you. And thanks to all of our listeners today for tuning in to the C1Site Network. We will see you next time. 